Greetings, my friends, and blessed New Year to all of you, and blessed Epiphany as we celebrate that newborn baby who has been shown to be the light of the world and the Savior of all of us. That baby in Bethlehem is so great that even the stars must serve him. The stars of the universe, because he is their almighty king. Think about all the times that nature had to serve Jesus. Water had to turn into wine. A couple loaves and fish had to multiply to feed 5,000 people with leftovers. Water had to hold him up as he walked over the surface of it. Storm clouds had to obey him when he spoke to them. Nature constantly had to serve and obey Jesus. Here a star announces his birth and leads people from afar to come and worship him. Magi, wise men, we don't know much about them. Wise people, people who um, studied the stars, people who studied the scriptures, the ancient writings. Magi, wise men from the east, they saw his star in the east and they realized that a king was born. Not uh, a baby was born who would become king, who would work his way up through the ranks or something, but a king was born. Born a king. They realized that a king had been born and they went to worship him. They traveled to worship him even though it required traveling a great distance going on a, a very long journey, a very dangerous journey. They traveled a long distance to do it. Wouldn't it have been easier for them to say, well, that's nice. I mean, I, I, have, a good, I have a good friend, a really good friend, and he just, you know, he just had uh, a child not long ago, and um, I didn't jump in my car and, you know, travel 12 hours to go see, but I thought about it from afar. Wouldn't it have been nice for them to just say, well, that's very nice, or maybe even, may, let's send something in the mail. Let's send something by courier to show our excitement about this, or um, let's just wait and see what happens, you know, out there in the West. Or even my favorite, we can worship him from home. It would have been a lot easier to say those things. But the wise men had faith. They had faith that Jesus was born a king. They had faith that Jesus was someone who should be worshipped so would they put their faith into action we can come to faith in jesus with god's holy spirit working through us through through his word in our hearts we can come to faith in jesus we can come to a realization that that something needs to change in our life we, we can come to repentance for the way we have been living um, but unless we take action. Uh, unless our story reads, and then he got up and did something about it, or and then she got up and took action, unless we take action, then nothing really changes. 
we often realize something must change in our lives, but then do nothing about it. How many of you made New Year's resolutions on Thursday night? Do we do that anymore? We often, I think, it, I think we're doing that less. I don't know. We often make resolutions. Maybe you don't do it on New Year's. Maybe you pick a, a, a better time of the year to do it. But we often make resolutions. But if, if we don't actually get up and do something about it, if we don't actually take action, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to change. You know, one of the, one of the people's, you know, a, a very common New Year's resolution is, has to do something with health, right? I'm going to diet. I'm going to lose some weight, or I'm going to just eat healthier, going to do something like healthier, right, physically. Um, and that's why when I, when I go into the gym on Tuesday afternoon, it's going to be just full, um, at least for a month, right? But we, we make a lot of resolutions about being healthier. But unless you actually put those running shoes on, or unless you actually cut out something that isn't, you know, uh, helpful for you, nothing's going to happen. Just because you say, well, I'm going to be healthier this year, or make some resolution, nothing is going to change unless we take action. If you make some resolution, well, I'm going to do this this year, I'm going to be more this this year, nothing's going to change just because you said, or just because you, you're convicted, like you know this change needs to happen, unless we actually do something about it. So sadly, knowing, knowing that we need to change doesn't always amount to change itself. Change or die. What if you were given that choice? Change or die. What if a well-informed, respected authority figure were to say to you, you need to make some significant, enduring changes in your life and if you don't, your time is going to come to an end. You're going to die. Would you be able to make change when change really mattered? Would you be able to make change when your life depended on it? Well, according to a study by Dr. Edward Miller, there would be nine to one odds against you making the changes you need to make, even in the face of certain death. And how did he base that finding on? Here's how he based it. 90% of people, patients, who have had um, bypass surgery, $100,000 surgery, 90% of them are still unable to make the changes they need to make to save their lives. It is difficult for us to change. It is difficult for us to put our faith into action. We often, um, we often trick ourselves into believing that, um, that because we feel differently, that we are actually doing something differently. We're good at tricking ourselves into believing that. When the reality is that nothing has been done. It, this is true, um, that we feel differently despite the fact that we haven't done anything at all. Um, we mistake our conviction for real change. So, so we, can we can live our lives with good intentions and strong convictions without ever really putting our faith into action. 
we never actually getting around to put that faith into action. We actually never get around to make that journey to worship the king with our hearts and with our actions. And when convicted hearts don't lead to change lives, there are always side effects. When we have been convicted, when, when we realize some change needs to happen, when, when, when something has happened in our heart, and, and that, that convicted heart doesn't lead to a change in actions, there are going to be side effects. And these side effects are, they, they kind of serve as symptoms or even warning signs that action needs to be taken. The first side effect of not putting our faith into action is an underlying sense of fatigue and frustration. So, when God brings us to faith in, in what he has done for us, okay, when God changes our heart, brings us to faith in, in all this wonderful thing that he has done for us, there's a very strong invitation for us to then align our lives with what is going on in our hearts, right? Your heart has been made new. God has shown you his grace. He's given you forgiveness. You, you've You've come to faith in, in the Jesus that was born in this world and lived and died and rose again for us. And you have new life. You have forgiveness. You have eternal hope to look forward to. Your heart has been changed. There's a very strong invitation and motivation to then change our lives and align the way we live with what we now believe. When you don't take action that aligns your life with what's going on in your heart, your life begins to violate your heart. And, and when actions, when your actions, when your lives don't line up with your convictions, when your lives, the way you live, doesn't line up with your faith, a general sense of fatigue and frustration begins marking your life. Friends, it is exhausting to live in a way that violates your heart. It is exhausting to try living in a way that doesn't agree with what your heart has been convicted of by God. It will leave you constantly drained. If, if you've been convicted, if you have this heart of faith that loves God and understands what he's done for you and, and appreciates it and lives in grace because of it, but then you're not living your life in a way that would match up and meet with that and agree with that, there's going to be this frustrate. there's going to be this frustration, this battle, this this, this tension going on in you that is going to absolutely exhaust you and you're not going to know why you're so tired why am i so worn out even the american heart association agrees they say examine your values and, and you know they open they leave it very general whatever your values are but examine your values and live by them the more your actions reflect your beliefs the better you will feel so even secular health experts agree that we feel worse when our actions don't line up with our beliefs So have you ever wondered why you're so tired? Have you ever wondered why you're so wiped out? When it's like you're, and even you, you got caught up on sleep, but you're still wiped out. Have you ever wondered why? Um, part of it might be because your actions aren't lining up with your convictions. Part of that might be because your actions aren't lining up with the way what's going on in your heart and the way God has changed you, the way God has been moving your heart. And nothing is going to be more exhausting than that. 
Nothing is going to cause you more tiredness, more frustration, and more fatigue than trying to live in a way that is different from the way that your heart has been moved. So fatigue and frustration is definitely going to be a side effect of not putting faith into action. Here's another one. Unidentified tension in significant relationships. So when you know what you need to do, but you have yet to do it, it's only going to be a matter of time before your frustration with yourself spills out into the lives of others. Okay, If your life isn't lined up with your convictions, you, you become a hard person to live with. It, it often shows up in, um, in a critical spirit. You know, very, very easy to get critical of others. Overly critical people reveal that there are things about themselves that they know need to be dealt with. And so it, it, it comes out by, by, being, by criticizing others, by being critical of others. So it shows up in a critical spirit. Um, another way it shows up is when people get overly defensive. A, a person who is feeling guilty because they're not living in a way that lines up with the faith God has given them uh, they, they tend to get overly sensitive and overly defensive, especially in the area of conviction that they have yet to take action with. So in other words, if there's something that um, you know you should be doing, but you're not doing it, you know that God would want you to be doing it, and that'd be a great way to thank and honor God, but you haven't done it yet, it, it's, it's very easy for you to get overly defensive and sensitive about that particular thing in your significant relationships with others. And, and that there can be a lot of tension in your life that's going to flow out into theirs. Uh, so we explode. What's that supposed to mean? You know, we get, we, we, uh, it comes out of nowhere, and you wonder, where, why is that tension there? Outward defensiveness often comes from inner conviction that hasn't been acted on. So you want to live your life without putting your faith into action? That's going to be another side effect that you're going to suffer you're going to be boiling inside. There's going to be some tension, and it's going to cause friction with the special and loved people in your life. Here's a third one. Undirected anger. All right, when there is conviction uh, without action, it always leads to guilt. Okay, when, you, when you're not doing something you know you should be doing, when the life that you're living uh, does not, is not consistent with your beliefs and what God has convicted you of, you're going to feel guilty. And guilt almost always services in anger. So some people just seem to be angry people. They're a lot of fun to be around. <laughs> See, there's some of them here. You know some of them. Um, and they're not necessarily just angry with a certain person or because of a certain thing. They just seem to be just angry in general. And they might say stuff like, well, I'm just wired this way. Maybe. But a possibility is that there's action that should be happening in their life that isn't happening. Um, chances are their actions aren't lining up with their faith. So maybe you have to ask yourself, is it possible? Is it possible that, um, that the reason you can't identify why you are upset might be because you're angry with yourself? And, and maybe you're angry with yourself because or because you feel guilty that you've been convicted of something, but you haven't done anything about it. And that can lead to guilt, and guilt can lead to anger, and that anger can surface as just kind of an unidentified anger. I'm angry, and I don't know why. 
So these are just side effects. These are side effects, symptoms, warning signs of what happens when we don't live our life in a way that lines up with our faith. These are symptoms or uh, warning signs when we don't put our faith into action. Someone said, until there is action, your beliefs and convictions aren't genuine. Sounds a lot like something that the Bible said in the book of James, where it says, faith, if not accompanied by action, is dead. So this same person talked about three different um, kinds of beliefs. Public beliefs, private beliefs, core beliefs. Public beliefs would be beliefs that we present to others. These would be beliefs that we want other people to believe that we believe even if we don't believe them. You have some of those. So we talk about family and faith, uh, uh, relationships, marriage, uh, finances. We talk about some of these things that are important in our life in a way that actually isn't real. Because we want other people to think that that is what our convictions are about those things. Okay, public beliefs. This is what you want other people to think that you believe. Um, private beliefs would be beliefs that we sincerely believe we have. We genuinely believe that we believe them. All right? But, and, and, but these beliefs, uh, when these beliefs get tested, though, then they are shown that they are not real beliefs. We discover that we don't really believe them. And finally, you have core beliefs. And these are our only true beliefs, backed up by reality. So these are not just something we say or not just something we feel, but our core beliefs determine how we live. So uh, the action we take, the actions we take, the life we live, what we do, determines what our true core beliefs actually are. So, don't tell me about your beliefs and your convictions. Get up and show me. You know this is true. Don't tell me about your beliefs. Get up and show me. Don't tell me that you believe in spiritually influencing your children. Get up, walk into the room, kneel down by their bed, and pray for them. Don't tell me you love your wife. Get up, turn Sports Center off, get off the couch, and take her on a date. A real date. Not going to get groceries together. Don't tell me you care about the poor. Go and serve in a, in a soup kitchen. Be generous. Uh, give to the food pantry. Help people right in our midst who are in need. Be generous the way God called you. Don't tell me you love God. Show that he is a priority in your life. By scheduling your time for worshiping him and studying his word first. Not, well, we have this other thing going on or, you know, we were up too late or we're going to be there or, well, I got these other kind of classes so I can't do that. Don't, don't, don't tell me you love God. Show me. Show him. Show him his priority by making him first. Nothing comes before it. Your convictions aren't worth 
anything until you take action. My convictions aren't worth anything until I take action. A woman came to church who had been away from God for a long time. Not this church, so don't look around. She's not here. Her, there was a lot of pain in her past. There was a lot of, not a lot of hope in her future. Um, she came to church. She had been an alcoholic for years. And had been able to hide it, keep it secret. But finally, finally she had become honest with what was happening in her life. And what she would now have to do next would be extremely difficult. What she is going to have to do next will be extremely difficult. My prayer, my prayer is that the next part of her story reads, and so she got up and did something about it. A young man deleted the history on his computer and he promised never again. And he had been living with guilt and regret for years. And, and he, had, he, he, he had been honest with, with how out of control his lust had become, but he had never really done anything to change it. Finally, he confessed to a Christian friend. My prayer is that the next part of his story will read, and so he got up and did something about it. When are you going to get up? When are you going to um, get up and do what you need to do? When are you going to say to a friend, well, I've been able to keep it secret for a long time, but I have a drinking problem. I'm going to need help because my life is starting to spin out of control. When are you going to end the relationship you know God wants you to end? When are you going to be generous the way God has called you to be? When are you going to make amends with the parents you have wounded? When are you going to actually join a Bible study group for the first time in your life? When are you going to start spiritually leading your family? When are you going to come out of the closet and talk with your coworkers about your faith? When are you going to do something real about all the social justice causes you post about online? When are you going to invite your neighbors to church? When are you going to show the same priority the wise men showed in worshiping your king? When are you going to put your faith into action? When are you going to show the priority the wise men showed in worshiping their king and studying his word? The, the wise men, the magi, they took God's Old Testament promises seriously. They believed the scriptures. They believed in the God of the scriptures. Otherwise, they hardly would have undertaken such a journey to come and find Jesus and worship him. Can we take shorter journeys at least? Can we see the same importance they saw? 
the wise men saw and the wise men understood and the wise men have showed us um, that worship is about giving God our best out of thanks to him for all that he has done for us. And so they were overjoyed when that star led them to Jesus. The, the text said they were just overjoyed. They were overflowing with joy when that star led them to Jesus. The, the Magi knew that they were on the right path. They knew that God wanted them to find this child and honor him as the one God had promised to send into this world as our king and savior. And that is why they were so happy. That is what filled them with so much joy. Now they could do what they had come to do. They dropped to their knees. This is what they would have done in that culture when it says bow down worship. They dropped to their knees and they touched the ground with their forehead to show humility to worship one who they believed was greater than they. They showed us what worship is. They worship one they believe was greater than they. They believed that he was God's promised Savior. In that baby, in that little baby child, they saw their king. They saw their Lord. They saw their Savior. They saw one who would live for them and die for them to make things right between God and them. One who would live and die for you and me, friends. One who would pay for all of our sins. Yeah, for all the times that we have not put our faith into action. For all the times that we've been living afraid do what we know God wants us to do. Just not quite willing to step out and live in the way that our hearts are convicting us to live. We all live with a lot of guilt and then some anger that is attached to that because of the many times we know we failed. But, but that, that Savior who was born into our world fixed all of that for you and me. He took all of that away. He has forgiven you. He's made things right. And that's why we can still go to him again daily and just thank him for the grace and the love and the forgiveness that he has given us. That is what filled them with joy. That baby um, that, they, that the star brought them to overflowed them with joy. So friends, you want to be overjoyed too? Then let's worship Jesus. Not just by, you know, showing up once a week or something and being, you know, faithful there, but let's worship Jesus in our hearts and with our actions, with our lives. Let's worship Jesus. You want to be overjoyed, truly overjoyed as you live your life? Then let's worship Jesus by putting our faith into action. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.